0: reading from Exodus 2, 1 through 22. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes rushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put that child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said,
1: This is one of the
0: Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because I drew him out of the water. Do you mean to kill me as you killed that Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this man is known. Uh, When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down as well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood by and saved them and watered their flocks. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said,
1: How is it that you have come home so soon today?
0: They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us and watered the flocks. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why do you love the man? Call him and he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land.
1: I have a question this morning. How many of each animal? How many of each animal did Moses bring on the ark with him? How many of each animal did Moses bring on the ark with him? Anyone? Zero. That's right. So Noah brought two of each animal on the ark, but Moses was alone on his ark. Now, before you start to think I've finally snapped, you need to understand that today's narrative that was just read for us could rightfully be called Moses and the Ark. And this is why. As we learned last week, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, they all came down to Egypt during a great famine. They were brought there by Israel's son, Joseph, and they settled in Egypt underneath a friendly pharaoh. However, Joseph and all of his brothers eventually died, as did the friendly Pharaoh. And a new Pharaoh rose up who did not know who Joseph was. And instead of seeing the children of Israel as beneficial, he saw them as a threat to Egypt's security. So what did he do? As we saw last week, he sought to break and to weaken Israel by enslaving the people to bitter service. And by thinning out the crowd, commanding the death, of every male child. So the end of chapter 1 of Exodus that we read last week ends with this, this bitter word and this bitter command in verse 22 Every son that's born to the Egyptian to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So chapter 2 that was just read for us opens really with this dark pall of death hanging over everything. And thus, the birth of a healthy baby boy comes not as it should. The, health of a, uh, the birth of a healthy baby boy should come as a joy to celebrate, but instead, this is a problem to hide. And so instead of celebrating, this baby is hidden away for three months, likely until his crying and activity made it impossible to conceal him anymore. Now, note in verse 2 that his mother looked at the baby when he was born and saw that he was a fine child. Now, this wasn't just what every mother does. I've never met a mother who thought, well, this child's not not fine. Every mother thinks their child is absolutely beautiful. But, But literally, the Hebrew here says that she saw he was good. She saw he was good. Now, the original hearers of this story would have heard that phrase, She saw He was good. And it is very similar to another phrase that comes earlier in the Pentateuch. At the beginning of Genesis, when God creates all things, in Genesis chapter 1, seven times it declares, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. So when the original hearers of this text heard the text, say, she looked on the baby and saw that he was good, they would have said, oh, just like God looked on the earth and saw that it was good. So friends, it was a signal. It was a signal that the God who created all things is about to do something new. With the birth of Moses... Something new, something good was coming into being. Because right now, Israel's in bitterness. They're in slavery. A pall of death hangs over them all. But God has caused something good to come. Something good is coming. And as we read last week, the Exodus, this is really the, the nation of Israel's. It's their origin story. And so what we find is that the God who created all the world is about to create for Himself a people, a nation. He's going to deliver them from slavery and from death. He's going to bring them into freedom and into life. And church, many of you can hear it already, can't you? This is the gospel. This is the good news. Now, the birth of this child, Moses, was truly good news to Israel. God was about to deliver them from the darkness of death so that they could become a people of His own possession. But friends, we need to remember that for as good as the deliverance that Moses was going to bring was, that deliverance would only ever be partial and temporary. The deliverance that God was going to bring through Moses would only be partial and temporary. Partial because the deliverance would be from slavery to Pharaoh and from the death that Pharaoh immediately threatened, but it wasn't deliverance from Israel's slavery ultimately to sin and to death itself. And the deliverance was only temporary because while Israel was about to be delivered from slavery to the gods of Egypt, when we read the rest of Israel's history, we find that time and time again she fell into slavery to other nations and to the gods of those nations. So, friends, as great as the deliverance that the Lord was about to bring by Moses' hand, it was only partial and temporary. And it left them longing for a greater deliverance. And friends, the Gospel, the good news is that a greater deliverance has come. This points us to the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, because one day, many, many, many years after the birth of Moses, another child was going to be born, and his birth would be good news. In fact, his birth would be good news not just to the nation of Israel. The birth of the child who was to come would be good news to the whole world. As Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, good news of great joy for all people and the birth of the child that would be born this child would be born into a world also of slavery a world where over all of us hangs the dark shadow of death but the lord was sending one who would in the words of luke 179 give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of peace And just as this child Moses was going to deliver a people so that God could make them his people, so the birth of Jesus Christ was so that God could make for himself a people. As the Apostle Peter celebrated in 1 Peter chapter 2, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. And into His marvelous light. And once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, the good news of Jesus Christ is that Christ was born to bring us a deliverance greater than Moses. Not a partial and a temporary deliverance, but a deliverance that is complete and that is eternal. The author of Hebrews celebrates in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy, destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, this is the good news. If Jesus has come and He has destroyed the one who holds the power of death, then our lifelong slavery to death has ended permanently. If by His death and on the cross and resurrection from the dead, Jesus has broken the power of sin, then we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to death. But now by Jesus' deliverance, He has made us His people. We are sons and daughters of God. Church, this is the Gospel. This is the good news. The birth of Moses was good news to Israel. But the birth of Jesus Christ is good news to the world. And it's good news to you and to me. And friends, have you believed and responded to this good news? Because if you've come here today and you're still living in slavery to sin, if you're here today and you are bound by the chains of addiction, if you're burdened by unforgiveness and anger, if you're shackled by shame and guilt, if you are living right now in the shadow of the fear of death, then hear the good news. Jesus Christ has come not to deliver you partially, but completely. Not to deliver you temporarily, but to deliver you eternally from sin and death. He has come to make you a people, to make you His son, to make you His daughter. Sons and daughters of God. This is the Gospel. This is the good news. And if you are here today, or if you're logged in online, and you have never heard this, or you've heard this before, but now you're feeling ready to respond, you hear the call of God, don't resist. Don't wait. I would love to talk to you and to pray with you after the service. I would love if you reach out to me online through our website, so that we can connect and so that you can hear So that you can receive. Because this is truly good news. Good news of great joy for all people. And the question is, are you living this good news today? Well, there you go. That gets us through chapter 2 of this section. We're only on verse 2. There's more in here. But for the people of Israel, they're in slavery in Egypt. And so the birth of Moses is good news, isn't it? God is bringing something good. He's bringing something new. He's raising up a deliverer. But friends, do you notice something about this deliverer? Before Moses can be used to deliver Israel, God has to deliver the deliverer. God has to deliver the deliverer. Because at three months old, the infant Moses needed deliverance from death because he was supposed to be cast into the Nile River so that he would die. And friends, don't you love the irony of God? Because that's exactly what his mom did. She cast him into the Nile River. Just like Pharaoh commanded. However, before she cast him into the river, she built for him a basket. But it wasn't just a basket, friends. She built for him an ark. The Hebrew word that is used for basket here, that's translated basket, is only used one other place in the old testament. And that's in Genesis 6 through 9 when it talks about Moses building an ark. That's what I meant. Noah building an ark. That's right. Listen to what I mean. You know what I said? Just as God kept Noah and his family and the animals safe from the waters and the destruction in their ark in Genesis God keeps Moses safe from the waters of destruction in his little ark. And just as God provided deliverance for Noah by the ark, he provides deliverance for Moses by an ark. God is the deliverer and he is providing deliverer, a deliverer for his people. But first, he has to provide deliverance for the deliverer. And so this is rightly the story of Moses and the ark. And not only is this an ark, do we find, but this is a Trojan ark. It's a Trojan ark because just like the Trojan horse that we read about in the Odyssey, when Greek soldiers hid inside that large wooden horse so that they would be wheeled into Troy so they could take over the city, Moses hides within the ark. And what does God do? He uses that ark to sneak Moses into the palace and into Pharaoh's household. I mean, this is an impossible plan. This is God's impossible plan to get a man on the inside so that he can stage the exfiltration operation of his people from Egypt. Moses' ark is what? It's found by Pharaoh's daughter. And Moses, uh, and she's moved for compassion, moved with compassion for the baby. Moses' older sister, Miriam, boldly and at the risk of her own life, offers to find a Hebrew woman to nurse and raise the baby. So it is that Moses' own mother ends up getting paid to nurse and to raise her own son. So not only has God found a way to sneak Moses into the palace, now Moses' mother receives back her son as if from the dead and doesn't just receive him back as he was. She receives him back better. She's now going to be paid. Not only does she no longer have to fear raising this child, she has a royal commission and a stipend to raise this child. And this child now has access to all of the riches of Egypt. And church, again, we hear echoes of the gospel. Because Moses' mother received Moses back from the dead even better than she sent him off. And church, in the same way, you, when you and I are raised to life, when the resurrected King resurrects us and is resurrecting us, we're not just restored to what we once were. We are now included in Christ's family, and all of the riches of Christ are now ours. Church, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. We are not just restored to what we were. We are made sons and daughters with access to all of the riches of the kingdom now are ours. And so Moses' mother receives him back even better than when she sent him off. Now now note again, as we look at these first couple of chapters of Exodus, I mentioned last week and I mention again, look at the heroes of this story. Consider the heroes of this story. In the first two chapters of Exodus, we meet five women, two midwives, Shipprah and Puah, Moses' mother, Moses' sister Miriam, and Pharaoh's daughter. Five women. And these women are the heroes of Exodus 1 and 2. They defy kings. They risk their lives. They foil the plans of the most powerful person in the known world. And they change the course of history. Now, the elevation of women in this story would have been scandalously unthinkable in that culture. Because God values women. No matter what you hear people saying about the Bible and what it teaches, God values women and used these five women because, friends, without these women, there would be no Moses. Without these women, there would be no Exodus. And, friends, if He could use these five women, if we made ourselves available to Him, what might He do through our lives? If He used these five seemingly insignificant people To change the world. What might he do with you? What might he do with me? Now, Pharaoh's daughter names the baby Moses, which sounds like the Hebrew word meaning to draw out. Why? Because she drew the baby out of the water. And it could also be related to a common Egyptian word which means son. So, now little did Pharaoh's daughter know that this child would one day also be used to draw God's people out. Of their slavery in Egypt. And little did she know that God would draw his people out and make call them his son. You know, the Lord spoke later on through the prophet Hosea in Hosea chapter eleven, saying, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son. So the name Moses really brings together these two ideas son and drawing out, because God was going to use Moses to deliver his people from Egypt, draw them out, because they are his son, his child. And this child would be used by the Lord to save them. Now, we don't get any details about Moses' life growing up, but he would have been educated in the palace of Pharaoh. He would have been given learning in literature and the education of Egypt. And in God's providence, what's God doing Pharaoh is unintentionally preparing the very person who's eventually going to lead a rebellion against them. That's God's providence. However, for all of his learning and all the time they spent in Pharaoh's courts, do you see what we, we find about Moses? Moses never forgot who he was. Church, he never forgot who he was. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, One day when Moses had grown up, He went out to His people. And He looked on their burdens and He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of His people. Twice in this verse, it makes the point that the Egyptians were not Moses' people. He had grown up in the palace. He'd been educated by the palace. He had learned all these things. But He knew who He was and whose He was. Church, never forget whose you are. Never forget to whom you belong. Moses identified himself with God's people, with the Israelites. And so it was that when Moses saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, Moses intervened to rescue the Israelite by killing the Egyptian. Now friends, in teaching this passage in this next section to you, I almost repeated an error that has been repeated to me. Now, I was prepared to get up here and teach, look, Moses is a murderer. And he took justice in his own hands. He wasn't waiting on the Lord's timing. So then he had to flee to Midian to cool off, learn lessons, grow until he was ready to be used by God. And I almost taught that to you today because that is what I was taught. That is what I've heard. That's what we've seen repeated and what you've probably seen repeated. Until I realized it wasn't right. It isn't right. That's not what the text teaches. You see, sometimes I need to listen to my own advice. I give really good advice. I don't listen to it. And you've heard me give you advice here on Sunday mornings, and for those that tune in Tuesday through Friday to our morning devotionals, you've heard me say so many times, when we have the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament, we need to consider the interpretation that the New Testament authors to be authoritative. We understand Scripture by Scripture. We understand the Old Testament by the New Testament. And so what did the New Testament authors have to say about this period in Moses' life? You know, there's a man that we meet in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7. His name is Stephen. Stephen would become the first martyr, the first man killed for his testimony of Jesus Christ. And in Acts 7, he's testifying before the angry religious leaders of his day. And it says in Acts chapter 6, and again in Acts chapter 7, he was a man who was full, filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, repeatedly. And so filled with the Holy Spirit, he then explains to us, he retells and explains to us Moses' life in Acts 7, starting in verse 17. He says, But as the time of the promise drew near, And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So although this report in Exodus chapter 2 may appear suspicious to us, we're not given a lot of details. But when Stephen reports the events inspired by the Holy Spirit, did you hear that his report of the Egyptian and Moses' killing of the Egyptian was surprisingly positive? Look at verses 24 and 25. Moses defended the oppressed man, avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. This is a positive evaluation of what happened. And even claiming that Moses' action by, uh, by the people should have been recognized as God giving them salvation. You know, but we look at Exodus 2 and we go, but notice Exodus 2.12. It says, Moses looked this way and that, seeing no one... He struck down the Egyptian, hit him in the sand. Isn't Moses looking to see if the coast is clear before he commits murder? But that's not what the text says. It it says he looked. It doesn't say why he looked. Moses may have been looking to see if there was another deliverer. Maybe there was another Egyptian who saw what was happening and would intervene to stop this Egyptian. Or likely Moses was looking to see if there actually were witnesses. Witnesses who could testify on his behalf that his defense of the Israelite was justified because they saw the mistreatment of this Israelite and would testify that Moses' use of force was necessary. Because, in fact, later Jewish commentary on the Scriptures, the Babylonian Talmud says, if one chases after his fellow to kill him, it's permitted to save the chaste at the expense of the life of the pursuer. It's permitted to save the chaste at at the expense of the life of the pursuer. So Moses was not necessarily a murderer, as we understand murder, in our modern context. But under Jewish law, and according to the inspired interpretation of Stephen, his actions were actually the beginning of the Lord's deliverance of his people. His actions were actually the beginning of the Lord's deliverance of his people. And in fact, Stephen's criticism in Acts 7 is not against Moses and his actions, His criticism is against Israel and their failure to recognize that Moses' actions were the Lord's deliverance. Later on in his speech in Acts 7, uh, Stephen says, This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the book. He he criticizes Israel for missing, this is God sending you a deliverer. Moses' actions here were the beginning of God's deliverance of his people. However, just like the guilty Israelite who was oppressing his fellow Israelite, he refused to recognize Moses' authority or action. So all of Israel would eventually reject and refuse Moses, as we see through the rest of the Exodus story. So friends, however we understand This passage in Moses' actions here, we need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And no matter what interpretations or sermons you've heard or popular memes on Facebook you may have seen, it seems that this oft-repeated understanding that Moses was a murderer, at least as popularly, popularly understood by our culture, murder, is not correct. And it scares me that I was ready to get up here this morning and preach the idea to you until I looked at the text again. Because I was ready to repeat just what I had heard or what I had been taught until I looked again at the Scriptures and said, well, what is it teaching? What does the New Testament say about this passage? What are the inspired authors of the New Testament? How do they understand it? And church, I I tell you this because this is important for all of us because right now there's a lot of people saying a lot of things about the Bible. There's a lot of things telling you what's in the Bible and what's not in the Bible. There's a lot of people telling you what the Bible teaches and what it doesn't teach. There's a lot of people characterizing and mischaracterizing the actions of people in the Bible and the actions of God himself in the Bible. There are many popular memes, arguments, and bumper stickers about the Bible. But church, we need to study (coughs) so that we understand what the Bible actually says. What does the Bible actually teach? Excuse me. (coughs) Just because some pastor said it, Just because some meme is frequently shared? Just because some idea is popularly repeated? Just because Adam himself said it? (coughs) Church, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? (coughs) Excuse me. I have a mask on. How do I have dust in my throat? (coughs) (coughs) In the book of Acts, the people of Berea are in fact praised Because they didn't just take Paul's word for it. They studied for themselves the scripture to see if what Paul taught was true. Acts 17.11 says, Now the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness and examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so." Church, a lot of people are saying a lot of things about the Bible today and what's in the Bible and what the Bible says, what the Bible doesn't say. But don't believe everything you hear. Just because it's a well-created meme on Facebook doesn't mean it's true. Just because somebody said it doesn't mean it's true. Examine the Scriptures daily to see if the things are true and to understand what they teach. So how should we understand this section of Moses' life? Well, the author of Hebrews understands it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. He says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward thank you and by faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible well, I am going to be so glad to be done with these maps next week next week so Moses' actions, the author of Hebrews says, in identifying with his people, resisting the king, fleeing Egypt, he, the author of Hebrews says these are all actions of faith. They're all actions of valuing and seeking the Lord over fleeting wealth or power. It says Moses was tempted like we are to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a while. Because friends, all sin is pleasurable. Sin is pleasurable or we wouldn't do it. It feels good. And it feels good to be accepted by this culture. It feels good to be popular with this crowd. It feels good to go with the flow. But the author of Hebrews says, Sins, pleasures are all fleeting. Church, you can compromise your integrity and become rich. You can compromise your beliefs to become acceptable. You can compromise your morals to become comfortable. But at what cost? Jesus asked in Mark eight thirty-six, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? The author of Hebrews tells us Moses could have had it all and friends, so can you. Moses could have had it all and so can you. The problem is it all is fleeting and temporary. So by faith, it says, Moses saw and pursued that which was invisible and eternal instead. And friends, what about you? Church, Moses chose to identify with God and his people to suffer reproach and hardship because the Lord was worth it. Friends, do you hear that? The Lord was worth it. He was worth more than the treasures of Egypt. He was worth more than the treasures of this world. He was worth more than the popularity and esteem of the culture. He, the Lord was worth sacrificing for. The world. The Lord was worth suffering for. He's worth everything. And church, the question that we face today and that we face every day, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Church, is Christ? beautiful? Is he wonderful? Is he true? Is he worth it? Is he going to be for you and for I the pearl of great price? Will he be that for which we will lose everything, for which we'll sell all other things that we might have him? Will we give up all the things that the world holds dear? My pride, my dignity, my reputation, my standing, my wealth, my freedom, my life. I'll give it all so that I can have him because he is worth it. Our chosen suffering for the name and the cause of Christ is a sign before the world of the value and truth of Jesus Christ. He is so true, we cannot deny him. He is so worthy, we will not give him up no matter the persecution, the ridicule, or the rejection we face. Moses saw he was worth it. Church, do we see that he's worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Is He worth everything we might lose to have Him? Is He worth the rejection like Moses felt He was? Is He worth suffering as Moses believed? Is He worth disdain and persecution? Is Jesus worth it? God delivered His Deliverer from the waters of the Nile. He delivered His Deliverer from the anger of Pharaoh, preparing His Deliverer to then deliver His people. And church... God is preparing us. God's preparing you. But we first have to answer the same question Moses did. Is he worth it? Are you ready to forsake the pleasures of Egypt so that you're ready to be used by him for greater things? Is he worth it? Let's pray. Father, in our eyes and in our hearts, show us that Christ is worth it. Show us the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. May we be so overwhelmed by our love for Him and our desire to have Him and our our desire to serve Him that we might willingly give up all else. That we might let go of all the fleeting pleasures of this world. So that we might cling all the more surely to You. Christ is worth it. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.